Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode 303 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and of course, The Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now around the world. Uh, if you can't catch the live show, remember, the audio pod goes out on podcast platforms around the world tomorrow. All right, so uh, make sure that you're subscribed here to The Ring Digital YouTube and uh, that you click that little notification bell so you never miss a live video. You get to watch the show here live, ad-free. What other boxing pod is doing that for you guys? And then if you like to listen to the audio, of course, just look for Montero Unboxing, The Neutral Corner, and you will find me. Likes, shares, subscribes, all that good stuff. Guys, we don't charge a fee for this show, all right? It's all about word of mouth, so I depend on you to get the word out there about TNC. Spread the word. If you get something from the show, the only fee I charge, it's non-monetary. All I ask is that you share the show. You tell your fellow boxing friends about it. If you got something out of it, you enjoyed yourself, just spread the word, man. That's all we need, all right? This is a word-of-mouth uh, movement here, TNC, and we continue to build and build onto uh, bigger and better things all the time. If you would like to support, <clears throat> all you have to do is go to my website, MonteroOnBoxing.com. That's it. Ontario Boxing, it's real, real easy. By the way, that's my social media handle. So if you want to find me on Twitter, Instagram, any of that good stuff, all you got to do is look for Montero Unboxing. But go to my website, MonteroUnboxing.com. If you want to get a Montero Unboxing t-shirt, we have them for sale right there. It's easy peasy, easy to order one. And if you just want to contribute, donate, tip the show, whatever, we've got options on there for that. As always, I want to make sure that I say thank you to uh, all of our supporters and um, just want to express my gratitude for all you guys. So we've already got callers on the line. Holy hell. <laughs> guys, uh, let me get this out there right now. Uh, chill on the phones for a while. I got a lot to cover today. So if you're on the phones right now, I kindly ask that you drop. Call back later in the show. All right. Because if you're sitting there on hold, I'm paying for that. <laughs> so if you could call back later, because I there's a bunch of stuff we got to cover, man. Uh, what a weekend of boxing. We had a bunch of upsets. We had some controversy, some bad refing, some bad judging. We kind of saw the good, the bad, the ugly. Everything boxing offers, we saw last Saturday, both uh, in the UK and in the USA and even over in Dubai. So uh, I, I will get to all of that, okay? And then, of course, we'll preview what's coming up this week. We've got a couple of two really good fights. And I, what I love is that they're on two different nights we have a great fight Friday night. We have an even better fight Saturday night. So we have a good weekend of boxing here. Schedule is starting to heat up. We got it. This weekend is what I would call a real diehard fight fans weekend. Uh, we got a bunch of you guys in the chat already. <clears throat> As you can see, I'm losing my voice. I've been talking a lot. I uh, did a couple radio spots this weekend and everything. So um, it's I got my I got my glass of water. It's going to be all good. We're going to get through this. <laughs> but uh, make sure you hit that thumbs up, guys. All right. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's get into news and notes, and I will share. Um, I want to share one of my world famous polls. I have one of these every freaking week for you guys. Um, let me pull it up here. So this goes to uh, the first item: uh, Canelo Alvarez and Dimitri Bivol. This is a done deal from March seventh. Some of the details are still being worked out, but apparently this will be DAZN pay per view, and it will be sixty dollars. Or $59.95 or whatever. Fuck it. 60, just say $60, people. $60 for uh, current DAZN subscribers, 
whether you've got the annual subscription or month to month or whatever you're doing. If you're a DAZN subscriber, it's 60 bucks. If you're not, then you pay $80 and you get a one month subscription. So I thought about this, okay? If you're not subscribed, you can pay $80 and you get a one month subscription. Or if you're a current subscriber, you pay $60. Let's dissect this a little bit. And I'll, I'll get to my, my poll here real quick, but I just want to make this point. This isn't even a, a discount for subscribers because if you're not a subscriber right now and you want a one-month subscription, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but here in the United States, I believe it's $20, right? So let's say if you're not a subscriber, but you really want to catch this Chocolatito uh, fight this Saturday against Julio, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, uh, you got to pay 20 bucks and you get it for a month. You'll get it for the whole month of March but it's 20 bucks. So if you buy the pay-per-view Canelo versus Beevil, if you think about it, your $80, 20 of that is your one month subscription that comes with the purchase and then 60 of it's for the pay-per-view. So really slick, sly sneakiness here from the zone. But as I understand it, this is not a discount because I could cancel my subscription right now and then when this fight happens in May, I could just pay 80 bucks and I get the whole month of May, 20 bucks, and a pay-per-view for 60 for a total of $80. Does that make sense? This isn't even a discount. So I thought about this and I'm like, you know, th this is insulting to DAZN subscribers. And I've been a DAZN subscriber since day one because I, I like the product. You know, even though there's there's been some issues with it, you know, we, we could talk about that, of course. But overall, I thought it was a good value, $100 for a year for what I got. You know, you think about the World Boxing Super Series tournaments, seeing Canelo, except for that one time where he fought, you know, Caleb Plant. Uh, you, you saw Canelo, you saw Anthony Joshua, you saw a bunch of other uh, fighters that I enjoy. Uh, and you got action from around the world. You got cards from different countries. We got morning boxing here. Uh, in America when uh, Nonito Donaire and Noyoya Inoue fought. So it, it was a great value, but I've been a loyal subscriber since day one. I remained subscribed to The Zone during the lockdowns when we didn't get boxing for months. I kept my subscription. And I'm not even getting a discount for this pay-per-view because the person who has never subscribed to The Zone is getting the same value, if you think about it the way I just described, as I'm getting, that's really, really insulting. And I am contemplating canceling my subscription, even though I need to watch these fights. Do I go team stream here? I hate to be this way, but this is really kind of messed up. And the folks at the zone are, do not do a very good job of being transparent with the fans. Um, the, the whole messaging of, you know, pay-per-view is dead, but that was pretty stupid now in hindsight, right? I get why this went pay-per-view. I understand, okay? Nobody planned for a global pandemic and all the pay-per-view is dead talk was before COVID. Okay, you want to throw out that excuse? Okay, well, we'll go with that. Because it's still, even if you do the $100 fee for the, for the whole year and then you do the two Canelo fights, that's $260, right? That's still less than PBC's charging you. So now the best value in boxing has now become top rank on ESPN. It has. 
but now, you know, they're going to charge pay-per-view for Tyson Fury's fight against Dillian White. So I don't know, guys. At the end of 2022, I don't know who's going to be the cheapest and who's going to be the most expensive. But I thought this was just another massive blunder from the zone. And if they keep pulling these stunts, boxing fans are used to being pissed on and shit on. Really? I mean, that's just part of being a boxing fan. But this is pretty insulting if you just do basic elementary level math. And I hope somebody from the zone hears this, or I hope one of you guys takes this little segment right here and sends it to some somebody at the zone. If you know somebody over there and I hope they listen because it's not going to take long for other people to catch on to what I just said and realize that you're not even providing a discount, a real discount to loyal subscribers. That's pretty messed up. It really is. Anyway, I, I posted a poll here. Uh, are you good with the discounted $60 pay-per-view cost, 25% off for the zone subscribers, or should it be lower? Do you think the fee is reasonable? If not, what would you change? And I have three options. The cost is reasonable. And by the way, this is for Canelo Beevil, obviously. Uh, so the cost is reasonable. I'm canceling my zone. Depends on the undercard. And what's surprising is that it's pretty much even. All three of these are pretty close. The cost is reasonable has 37%, but the other two choices have right around 31%. So basically one third for each of these. Uh, those aren't good results. And most of my followers on Twitter and most of the people that interact with me on, on TNC and interact with me daily on social media uh, are pretty positive about the zone. So seeing these results is pretty telling. It really is pretty telling. Uh, so again, <clears throat> folks at the zone, I hope you're listening because the messaging around this isn't good. And if you were going to give boxing fans and your loyal subscribers a discount, uh, Canelo Bevel would be the fight because Canelo Golovkin, people are going to be willing to pay more money for. That's, you know, you're going to make more money on that fight. Uh, but this one, man, I mean, it really should be $40 for the zone subscribers. And I hope you rethink it when it comes to the Canelo Golovkin rubber match, if and when that fight happens in September. Um, you really need to rethink this because that that's bad, dude. That's just that that's that's a bad look. And I've defended the zone because I've believed in the product up until now, but I'm this close to canceling my subscription. And I have been a subscriber to the zone since it launched an annual subscriber since that one, since that was available and you're about to lose me and I've promoted the hell out of your product on my show. But if you're not even offering a real true substantial discount to loyal subscribers for a fight, that's a great fight. Canelo Beevil is a great fight, but somebody, listen, there's a lot of people and I'm not going to go political with this, you know the YouTube channels and you know the, the media people that have been rooting for DAZN to fail since it launched because of its ties to Eddie Hearn and everything else because it's going head-to-head -head with PBC, all right? You know the types. There's certain people out there that have rooted for this thing to fail. Certain people in the American boxing media have rooted for this thing to fail from day one. And uh, you're just – they're going to buy this pay-per-view because they want to watch Canelo fight. They are going to pay the same amount, basically, that I'm paying. That's not right. So you might want to rethink your messaging here. The pay-per-view is dead thing was really stupid, and you're looking pretty bad right now because of that. But you got a good fight here. 
but you better take care of your subscribers or they're gone because what's the incentive to subscribe if you're going to end up paying the same damn amount as somebody who doesn't subscribe? There's no incentive there. Bad look. Really, really bad look. Who the hell do you have over there making decisions? <clears throat> man, oh man, this business is insane. Also, guys, um, it, look, real quick, I wanted to hit on this. I don't want to talk about this for too long, but uh, the conflict going over, going on over in the Ukraine, obviously, you guys saw the Klitschko brothers were all in up front. And Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, he has been heavily involved in politics over there for a long, long time. But uh, Vladimir has stayed connected, of course, and now they're both over there. Uh, they've signed up. They're, they're serving their country, right? Uh, there's been a lot of talk and, and conjecture about Alexander Usyk and Vasily Lomachenko and <clears throat> some criticism. And, and to be honest, guys, the thing between Ukraine and Russia is very complicated. And these ties go back literally centuries, okay? And uh, because of what happened during the World War and all that kind of stuff, uh, the Second World War especially, um, there's there's blood feuds, and it, I'm not. Even, I, I could talk for hours about all that. Okay, it's complicated. But Usyk has gone over there apparently, and now Lomachenko, who was in Greece for, he's gone over there too. It's good to see everybody kind of unifying and willing to stand up and and, and fight uh, for their country if need be. So. Um, some some of the stuff I'm seeing on Twitter is weird from people saying, oh, they're just trying to get photo opportunities. And oh, look, man, it's better than just tweeting something. It's better than just saying, I stand with Ukraine and changing your profile picture, which is, you know, that's the kind of stuff that a lot of American celebrities do. A lot of our athletes and celebrities do here. Um, they'll take a knee before a football game during the national anthem, but they'll still play in the game so that they get paid. Right. Um, that That's the kind of activism we get over here. Um, and again. I'm not saying that was right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just putting that out there. These guys are actually going over there and willing to enlist in the, the military and defend their country. I think that's pretty cool. And regardless of all the political ties, because the Klitschko brothers kind of go one way with this stuff, Usyk and, and Lomachenko kind of go a different way. They're unifying and supporting and defending Ukraine. And I think that's very, very cool. And I wish we could do more of that here in the United States. Uh, we can have different opinions and things, but there are just times where you got to put that shit aside and unify in one cause to do what's right. So <clears throat> on that note, we will, uh, that's it for news and notes. Uh, we got a couple of super chats already. Kobat Suda from New Zealand. Thank you so much, man. He says, uh, has there been any notable pro boxer since Muhammad Ali who has actively stood up and fought against against a major crisis like Vitali is doing right now? That's a great question. Um, I would say uh, not quite what Ali did, and and as big of a deal as it was, especially in that time. Um, definitely not on that level. But I do think that there have been fighters who have, uh, and not just fighters, but you know other athletes. But you asked specifically about boxers, who who have done things. Um, you know, look, I, I talk a lot about Jamel Herring on the show because, you know, he's a fellow Marine. There's a guy that, you know, went several tours overseas and fought for his country. Um, so, you know, there's a guy that I'd put on that list. And it's not that Jamel took a political stand or anything like that. He just did what he thought was right and defended his country and served his country. And um, he lost his best friend in the midst of all that. 
And, you know, the, the 9-11 attacks made a, 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 an impression on him. He, he grew up um, in the New York area, not in the city, but he was in that area. And um, he, he decided that he wanted to, to be in the Marines and, and serve his country. So there's a guy I'd put on the list. And there's, there's others. Um, I think, you know, Manny Pacquiao has certainly done a lot for the people of the Philippines. You may not agree with his politics. He's probably, a, you know, way too conservative for my personal taste and, and everything. But um, it doesn't matter. He has served his people very well. He has done a lot of things for his people. So, yeah, there have been some. But I think Ali, because of what he did when he did it and with um, everything going on in this country as it related to, uh, you know, racial lines at that time, I think that the media has heightened that uh, to where I don't think any any athlete ever is going to reach the heights of what Ali reached. Uh, he's become uh, mythical and, and almost like a, a godlike religious figure in the eyes of the mainstream American media. And I don't think that's ever going to change. That's just going to increase. Uh, over the years, over the decades and centuries to come. Sam A with a super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate that, man. You said, uh, fight of the year candidate alert on Cajas versus Martinez, top five. Yeah, man, we'll talk about it. I want to say they combined for 1,700 punches thrown, 1,800 punches thrown. The motors on those guys. Oh, my God. That was a damn good fight. Damn good fight. And another super chat pledge from my man, Nigel. Thank you so much, Nigel. You said, uh, Barney Ross is another boxer who went to war. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, look, man, Joe Lewis served, you know, at a time where his country treated him like shit and he served, you know. Um, you know, Joe Lewis really paved the way for guys like Muhammad Ali to do what they did, if you think about it. And um, I think that's just a different era, though, because a lot of the, the Major League Baseball players went off to war. Uh, it was just a different era. I'm just trying to think of the last 20, 30 years, you know, uh, post-Vietnam War. So you can go back, what, 40, 40 years or so. I, I don't, there just hasn't been many that have taken a real stand. And now in the social media era, it's a lot easier to do what I call hashtag activism which is where you kind of virtue signal on your social media and, or, or you bully other people into virtual signaling with you because you see these virtual virtue signaling movements, right? Where if you don't post a certain thing or whatever, then, you know, you're a bad person, right? And you almost get bullied into submission with some of that stuff, which is kind of dangerous, you know? Um, but that's the kind of activism that we see from a lot of athletes. Although there are athletes who, um, do invest in their community and do a lot of great work, but the, the really, really famous ones, and I'm not going to name the names and stuff because then it will get all political and people will get pissed off. But there's certain guys I can think of that um, front, like they're doing all this stuff and it looks really great on social media and they get clicks and their sponsors love it because, you know, they're, they're getting money, but real world, actual, you know, substantive, action it's not happening with a lot of these guys so i and especially you know when, even when you do see some action it's divided along political lines or ethnic lines or something like that you just don't see a lot of people unifying and that's why i i think it's really really cool when you look at again the klitschko brothers um are more supportive of the current ukrainian administration the current president and lomachenko and usik they're a little more at least they're accused of, you know, uh, and criticized for being 
a little more pro-Russia in certain ways. Okay, I'm not going to delve it way deep into this, but they're kind of just putting all that shit aside right now and unifying under one cause. I think that's pretty cool. I wish we had more of that in our world. I really, really do. Okay, now I got a massive fight review here. There's still a bunch of you on the phone. I need you guys to drop off because I'm going to be talking for a while. All right. So um, I guess some of you guys just like to listen on the phone. I guess that's fine. I'll pay for your call. I'll pay for it. All right. Fight review. It's going to be a doozy. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Saturday, February 26th was a loaded, loaded day. And again, for those of you just getting on the show, what I said in the opening is this weekend, we kind of saw the good, the bad, the ugly. We kind of saw everything as it relates to boxing. And um, everything the boxing world gives you from top to bottom, we saw it. Let's start over in Dubai. Guillermo Rigondeaux drops a unanimous decision to 17-3 and Filipino fighter Vincent, Vincent Astrolabio. Astrolabio dropped Rigo in the final round, the 10th round. And that was the difference because the judges, all three judges had this five rounds apiece. So the knockdown at the very end of the fight was the difference. All three judges scored at 95-94 for Astrolabio. And now uh, Rigondeau or Rigondeau, or there's been 8,000 different names, ways we were supposed to say his name. Let's just call him Rigo. He has dropped three of his last six going back to 2017 when he quit against Vasily Lomachenko. And I will use the word quit because he did. He was on his way to getting stopped. He faked an injury. He quit. And the only reason why I'm not trying to pound on the guy when he's down, but the only reason why I use that word, because I don't like using that word a lot, is because he made excuses. If it wasn't your night, dude, just retire on your stool and say it wasn't my night. Because like Nicholas Walters had done, other fighters had done that with Lomachenko. But Rigando said, no, 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 no. Yeah, I hurt my hand. Never saw x-rays. There was no break. Later on, he said, oh, I bruised a knuckle. And, and that's all we got. After him and his people talking trash for years about Loma, accusing Loma of ducking, even though it was Rigo who had turned down offers in the past, uh, even bringing up race and things like that. There were several tweets I saw from the guy who handled Rigo's account, which, by the way, was a Cuban media member who ran an account. Kind of a conflict of interest. Imagine if I ran if I ran Terrence Crawford's Twitter account. That would be a, a huge conflict of interest, right? Yeah, so, so a member of the Cuban media ran Rigondio's uh, Twitter account, but they were bringing up race and bringing up skin color as it relates to Lobachenko and stuff. So, so because of all that nastiness, and then you quit, and then you make an excuse, yeah, I'm going to call it out. Anyway, he lost three of his last six now. Boy, did this guy just really fall off because there was a cult around Rigo. I mean, a cult, remember that? And in 2013, it was April of 2013 when he beat Nonito Donaire. Now, Rigo got dropped in that fight, but he clearly decisively beat Nonito Donaire, who was, I think, the 2012 fighter of the year, was coming off a great year. And Rigo beat him. Um, and really, you know, Donaire been, has been stopped and stuff like that. Uh, he's been knocked out. But nobody had outboxed. And I don't think anybody ever has outboxed Donaire the way Rigo did. So in 2013, it was almost a decade ago, man. We were looking at Rigo like, wow, we got something here. And just not understanding the business of boxing and sports entertainment, uh, being really, really difficult to work with, with the promotions, uh, the executives, the media. 
he Rigo did pretty well with some segments of the Spanish media and um, Spanish social media, but he he didn't do great with them. Uh, outside of little pockets, he really didn't do very good even in in those markets. He just destroyed what could have been now because of his style and his size and he was never going to be a huge superstar. I'm not trying to suggest that, but the dude never learned English. He didn't even try to, he, he didn't even smile and like try to be entertaining during the press conferences and stuff. There have been plenty of fighters who had a quote unquote boring, dull style, but because of their personalities and everything else, they were able to market themselves and be superstars. You know, uh, I could point to a million fighters like that. And he just had none of it. He, he just the most, boring personality and somebody who was delusional about how to market themselves. And again, he was with top rank in 2013 and Bob Aram did him no favors with some of the things he said. I get it. But Bob's done that with a lot of different got fighters and a lot of different situations and members of the media, et cetera, et cetera. Rigo has worked with rock nation lost their ass when they signed uh, Rigo. He's worked with several different promoters, PBC, they didn't even want him no more, right? This this fight was um, over in Dubai with some promoter who I think got his license like last year or in the last couple of years. So he's a small-time promoter over in that part of the world. And not to knock the promoter, I'm just saying, Rigo went from like top rank and PBC, like those those level guys, and, you know, made made some dollars and stole some money from, uh, from Rock Nation, you know, uh, pulled a fast one on them. But dude, he's never, ever, given a return on the investment for any promotion ever. And this is it. He's done after this done um, drop three of his last six, man. And the Colt, where are you guys now? Because this was your guy. All right. So uh, let's, let's jump over to the SSE hydro at Glasgow, Scotland. And um, this was uh, a, a pretty big, event over there right this was the homecoming for josh taylor first time fighting there like as an undisputed champion a pound for pound level guy this was a big deal over twelve thousand in attendance there right and this ended up kind of becoming the 140 pound version of vladimir klitschko versus tyson fury it's just the decision went the other way um it was not exactly that way and i'll talk about that the comparison why i make that comparison and this fight reminded me of some other fights and I'll talk about all that, but I need a minute to talk about this fight, okay? Because uh, everybody's throwing a fit, and I understand why people are pissed, but there, there's kind of the blame can kind of go in several different directions here. And I don't know if this was as big of a robbery as some people are making it out to be. So let me state for the record: I thought Jack Catterall beat Josh Taylor. Okay, uh, I watched the fight twice. This was a shit fight, just a terrible fight. Really, really frustrating and awful to watch. But I suffered through it twice because I love you guys. And I wanted to have a really good nuanced breakdown of this fight because I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of anger uh, on social about this one. So I watched it one time and scored it seven rounds to five for Catterall. I watched it another time and scored it six rounds apiece. All right? Either way, Catterall edges that fight on my scorecard, regardless of the point deductions, both both fighters had a point deducted for no good reason. The referee was terrible. I'll talk about that. But with the knockdown, to me, that was the difference. All right. So I want to preface with that because some of the things I'm about to say are probably going to piss some of you off and you're not going to agree. But hear me out. 
So Josh Taylor officially improves to 19-0 with a split decision win over Catterall, who drops to 26-1. and um, And the scores were, I, I think, one judge had it 7-5 one way, the other judge had it 7-5 the other way, which are I'm good with either of those scores, honestly, um, although I'd favor Catterall 7-5. But uh, Ian John Lewis, who is just not good, he, he, he's had issues as a ref, and as a judge, he's just one of the most inconsistent ring officials in all of boxing and continues to get a shitload of work, especially over in the UK. He had this eight rounds to four for Taylor. I just don't see how you can give eight rounds to Taylor. That's, that's just too wide. If you were going to give eight rounds to either man, that would be Catterall. But I even think that's, that could be too wide. But if you're going to go eight rounds in one direction, it's toward Catterall. Eight rounds to four uh, from, from Ian John Lewis. Just a bad score. And I don't understand how this guy continues to get work because he's inconsistent as hell. And there's plenty of instances I can point to where this guy has had controversial uh, decisions he's made that have grossly affected fights. He has grossly uh, in, influenced fights in a negative way many times. But let's talk about the ref uh, on this fight. Marcus McDonald. Way too involved from the opening bell was warning Josh Taylor. Like I want to say in the first or second round for some roughhouse tactics. And I honestly think and it, he, he screwed over both, both fighters in this, in this fight. Okay. Uh, I don't think he was overly biased one way or the other, but it's just way too involved. And I really think, I don't know the guy. I'm not that familiar with him. I've seen him before, but not that familiar with him. But, uh, I want he must have seen what was going on during fight week because you guys saw the melee. We, we we showed it Friday on my show on my channel, right? I was showing you guys videos from Twitter of um Cadrall and and Taylor getting into it, right? Um, and I, I think Marcus McDonald must have seen that and heard some of the trash talk, and he just made the decision I am not going to let these guys get chippy. The second that they do, I'm going to get in there and break this up, I'm going to keep control of this fight. And because he came in with this premeditated plan, as a ring official, whether you are the ref, the judge, whoever, you cannot come in with a premeditated game plan. You can't. You have to be almost like a sponge and soak up what's going on around you. If you come in with this premeditated thought of, oh, the second I see this, I'm going to do that. Well, you're already, you're not in the moment. You're, you're a robot. You're not in the moment. You got to you got to be water, right? And you got to mold to uh, to the shape of what's going on around you, and that's not what McDonald did. So uh, he took a point from each fighter late in the fight too. It's not like he took it early on, but it's late in the fight when things were tightening up, and um, he didn't need to. And he, I think he, he took a point from I think Catterall first. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. It could be the other way around, but he took a fighter, a point for one fighter first. And then the second point deduction felt like a makeup. I just thought he was way too involved. And he absolutely influenced the ebb and flow of this fight. Not that this fight was ever going to be aesthetically pleasing. It was always going to be a shit show to watch because of the styles, but he made it worse. And if you think about it, guys, is there, has there ever been a situation where Think of any fight in the past where you talk about the referee as much as the fighters, and that's a good thing. 
I can't think of a situation. Anytime that you're talking about the referee, as much as you're talking about the fighters themselves, it's a bad situation, right? So I, I want to get all this out before getting to the actual fight. Now, let's talk about Josh Taylor. Obviously, he did not come into this fight at 100%. We knew that coming in, uh, but maybe we didn't anticipate just how bad he would look. This is the worst I've ever seen him. I've seen maybe seven or eight of his fights, and he's, he's only had 19, all right? So he hasn't had many fights to look at. But since he's been on the world stage, at least, this is absolutely his worst performance. Now, in fairness, because we're going to be fair here, he was coming off a knee injury, so he couldn't get consistent road work. Um, and he said that it, it made it making weight harder because the weight cut happened later in camp, uh, not the way he normally does it. At least that's what I heard. So knee injury, he had some sort of, I think, bronchitis or some kind of infection going on in the lungs. That also is going to affect your cardio, which affects weight gain or a weight cut. And then, of course, he was recovering from COVID. Now, I don't know if the bronchitis and COVID were related or not, but apparently he had all those things going into this. Um, he's a big junior welterweight. So the weight cut, you know, he didn't look great at the weigh-in. He made the weight, but he didn't look great considering everything he had to deal with going in. We have seen at least a dozen fighters over the last couple of years, their first fight back after COVID, they don't look good. Some look great. So, some recover just fine. But guys, there are at least a dozen examples I can point to over the last two years where a fighter coming back off of COVID, that first fight back, they don't look good. The second fight, they look much, much better. But that first fight back, they just don't look the same, right? So um, I, I think all these things played a factor. But also, Taylor had no game plan. His corner did, hid, did him no favors. There was no game plan. At least there wasn't anything that I saw that was evident. I've been doing this for a minute, and I could not detect a game plan. Taylor was fighting in front of you know his hometown, right? A home crowd, I should say. And uh, this was a homecoming for him. He talked about the fact that he put a lot of pressure on himself to perform, to entertain, to the crowd. But that's an excuse uh, for not having a game plan. I think him and Ben Davidson, who I just, I don't know about this partnership, guys. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, Taylor might have been better with his previous team. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong here. But it seemed to me that their thought was, we're going to just go in there and intimidate this guy, rough him up, bully him a little bit, and then knock him out. That's just kind of what I saw. He was lunging in. Taylor never really works behind the jab, but he at least keeps his head off the line and, and stays long and, and keeps his head back. And he was lunging in head first. He was all off balance. That knocked down the eighth round. That was 100% because Taylor was off balance and lunged in and, and got overly aggressive and Catterall took advantage and nailed him right on the temple with a nice short little shot uh, while Catterall kind of backed off and boom, just nailed him right in the temple. Um, it was a nice shot from, from Catterall who I'll, I'll get to in a second, but for Taylor, he just came into a fight like this, no game plan, just thought he could just out muscle the guy, bully him, whatever. I think it's obvious he took Catterall lightly he let Catterall get in his head a little bit at the weigh-in. Catterall choked him, and then Taylor choked him back. And all those things combined with shitty officiating and some shitty scorecards uh, just led to a complete shit show, right? So with Catterall, Catterall, um, 
good game plan, right? I, I think it was very evident right away what he was trying to do. Catterall does one thing. One, he, he's not, I didn't see a fighter there that has multiple layers. I saw a guy who does one thing. He does it very well, all right? Um, he's perfected it in his own little style, but I didn't really see many adjustments or changes from Catterall. Again, guys, if you disagree with me, correct me if I'm wrong here. I saw a guy who did one thing, but he did it very well. And he had his best moment in the eighth round when he legitimately dropped Taylor. None of these other guys have done that, right? Progray, um, Ramirez, Postal, uh, Baranchek, you know, I think Harry Davies. None of those guys have, have put Taylor down. They've had moments. They've put some leather on him. They never put him down. So Catterall accomplished something that nobody else has. Put him on his ass, right? That was the eighth round. Now, at that point, two-thirds of the way through the fight, I had Catterall up by several points, right? This is this is the biggest moment of the fight for you if you're Catterall, if you're Jack Catterall. You got a 10-8 round. What I don't understand, and no one's talking about this, I don't know if there was a decision made in the corner, if there was an injury. I don't know what happened. But to me, now that you've had your biggest moment, you come out in the ninth round and you press. You step on the gas pedal. You push even more. You build off that momentum and you leave no doubt. Instead, Catterall, rounds 9 through 12, backs off, drops his output, lands less punches, and allows Taylor to steal rounds. And he gave away the fight, guys. I'm sorry. I feel for Jack Catterall here because, again, on my scorecard, before you yell at me and shit down my throat, I, I scored it for him. I thought he edged the fight. But there's such a thing as stealing rounds in boxing and body language, uh, ring generalship, these sorts of things. There's a lot of gray area, and people see it different ways. And there were moments in the ninth through 12th round where it was Taylor mostly coming forward and pushing Catterall back. Now, Taylor wasn't really landing a lot of punches, right? He was sloppy. He was all over the place. But he was hungry. And we're look, we're watching on TV. We've got amazing camera angles up above the ring, looking down on these guys, right in their grill, right? The cameraman zooms in and you can see everything perfectly. But these judges are right up on the ring and you're looking up. And sometimes if two guys are in the opposite corner, you can't see if everything's landing clean, you, you can't see if Catterall is sneaking a little counter uppercut in there or a little body shot before he gets out. You might not be able to see that. But what you do see is Catterall moving backward and Taylor coming forward, pushing him and throwing three or four punches. Now, maybe they all get blocked, but if you don't see Catterall doing anything in return, a judge can be fooled. And I'm not trying to excuse anything. I'm not trying to justify shitty scorecards. I still think that Ian John Lewis's scorecard was terrible. But the other two, I, I can get I can get down with. And I'm telling you guys why. So that that's this fight reminded me somewhat of what when Canelo Alvarez fought Irislandi Lara. Styles are different and everything else, of course. But I was ringside for that fight. And I remember after like eight or nine rounds, I had Lara ahead. And I'm thinking, holy shit, he's going to pull this off. And then he just started running. 
the last few rounds. And, and Canelo was the one coming forward and throwing body shots that visibly pushed Lara back. And there was one section, one sequence in like the 10th or 11th round. I can't remember specifically what round where there was a body shot that clearly hurt Lara. And I could see that from my vantage point. I was only a couple rows back. I was far enough back where I could see it or close enough up, but also far enough back because I wasn't right up on the ring looking straight up. Sometimes it's better to be back 30, 40 feet looking in the ring, scoring a fight. I prefer that to being right up on it sometimes. It just depends. It depends on the, the size of the fighters and, and how the ring is built and all that kind of stuff. But um, so it reminded me of that fight a little bit where I thought Lara just gave the damn fight away to Canelo. And I scored that fight for Canelo. I thought he eked it out because Lara gave it up. In this fight, again, I scored it for Catterall, but I could see how a judge could be duped and give this fight to Taylor, even though he did not land the cleaner punches in the fight. He just didn't. But sometimes, guys, going down the stretch, it's the fighter that looks hungrier and is pressing the action that is going to get the benefit of the doubt in a round where neither guy's really doing a whole lot in terms of punching. Catterall did better with punching, but his punches were one at a time. That, well, I should state, in the first half of the fight, Catterall did land combinations. He did. There were some twos and threes. And he actually stopped Taylor at his tracks a couple times and snapped his head back and forced Taylor to reset. That stopped in the second half. Watch the damn fight again, guys. In the second half, Catterall, it was all ones. One punch at a time. And Taylor was walking right through it and, and pushing forward. So the impression on judges... And again, some of these judges probably shouldn't be scoring fights, not championship fights anyway. Uh, the impression to the judges might be, hey, that, that guy's bothered right now, and the other guy's coming forward. It's, it seems like an even round. I'm going to edge it to the guy coming forward. I think that's what happens sometimes. I, again, I'm not trying to say it's a good thing, but I, uh, punch numbers because it's your favorite stuff, guys. Um, Catterall landed 70 punches in the first half of the fight, 50 in the second half. I broke the fight down into thirds, rounds one through four, five through eight, nine through 12. In the first third, Catterall lands 42. In the second third, he lands 45. In the last third, he lands 33. Now, did Catterall make a conscious decision to just stop landing punches? Or did Taylor make an adjustment defensively? And was he avoiding punches better in the second half? I think you can't have one without the other. And I think that Taylor isn't getting quite enough credit from some of you for making a little adjustment because those, those counter straight left hands from Catterall early on that were landing every time, right? Tim Bradley was like ejaculating. Oh my God, he can't miss, right? In the second half, to me, those punches weren't landing the same way. And Taylor had made a little adjustment. It wasn't pretty. But he had made an adjustment, and it forced Catterall back a little bit more. And Catterall started throwing less punches. I talked about inactivity coming into this fight. Uh, Taylor only had one fight in 2020, one fight in 2021. So I do think that inactivity may have played a role. But in fairness, Catterall only had one fight in 2020. He had zero fights in 2021. Now, Here's where I think inactivity affects Taylor more, all right? He melts down to an unnatural weight. 140 for him is really difficult to make. Catterall, I almost wonder if that guy could make 135. If he made a few changes 
in how he prepares. I, I part of me wonders because he's like five six. If he could get down to 135, where I think he'd have a much better chance at winning titles. I think he could win. Look, Taylor's going to move up and these titles will all be vacant, and Caterall will probably get himself a title at some point at 140. But part of me wonders if he could melt down to 135. But I, so that's where I think the inactivity affected Taylor a little bit more. But what was interesting is later in the fight, again, it's Taylor moving forward, the guy who's sapped for energy, the guy who's drained. He's the guy coming forward. You got another guy backing up. Now, look, you can win and dominate fights backing up. We've seen it a million times. You can back up to set up an opponent to knock him out. You can lure him in, right? And Caterall was doing some of that uh, early. And, of course, in the middle rounds uh, when he dropped Taylor with a counter shot to the temple. But in the late rounds, him backing up wasn't necessarily working. Those were pretty close rounds, man. Nine through 12 kind of felt like swing rounds to me. Maybe one or two was more clear. Uh, one or two of those rounds were more clear than the others, but they were all close rounds. And Catterall was not able to make an adjustment. When I say earlier, I said he does one thing. He did one thing over and over and over, and Taylor kind of made a little bit of an adjustment and started getting in there and mauling and grappling and pushing Catterall back. And suddenly those straight left hands weren't landing with the same authority or the same accuracy. And Catterall couldn't make an adjustment. For me, if I was in his corner, I would have been telling him, dude, you got to step on it. You got to have these rounds, right? <clears throat> you are the B-side here. You are the mandatory challenger. Did you see the odds coming into this fight? You just step this shit up. You need to throw more punches. Had Catterall won one or two, of those later rounds, he wins this fight. It's that simple. So if he had landed 10 more punches in you know, the 10th or 11th or 12th round, uh, he wins this fight. And uh, th th he, that's kind of on him. Again, and I'm saying this as a guy that scored the fight for him, okay? But he gave the judges and the officials and the business of boxing, the promotion, all of it, the opportunity, the justification to give a close round to the guy that they wanted to give the close round to. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you really got to take it, right? I talked about Fury and Klitschko. And this fight was a lot like it because what Fury used to do, his style when he actually fought a top-level fighter, is he wasn't going to walk you down. He wasn't going to piece you up, uh, even though he was bigger and stronger and, and heavier. He would seek to spoil what you do. And that was it. He would um, neutralize what you like to do and then tap you a couple times, give you a couple love taps, and just barely win a round. And that's what he did against Klitschko. The difference in that fight was Klitschko didn't come forward and get aggressive like, like Taylor did against Catterall and start pushing and mauling because he wasn't the bigger man. He couldn't do that. Fury was, and Fury wasn't going to stand there and trade with Klitschko because he would have got knocked the fuck out, right? He, <clears throat> he had to be nimble and stay on the back foot and lean back and smother Klitschko and just neutralize what he did, tap him a couple times, and went around. And Klitschko made some adjustments late in that fight, but it was too little too late. <clears throat> in this fight, Catterall basically did the same kind of thing. I'm going to just spoil and neutralize what Taylor wants to do, tap him a couple times, move back, and just 
barely win the round. And that's what he did, round after round after round. And then he got a knockdown. But then, because he's a smaller guy moving backward, the bigger guy moving forward was able to kind of push him and maul him and, and, and bully him a little bit. And I really think that influenced the judges, man. I really, really do. Okay, body language. Body language is a big one, guys. So, so that's how I saw this. Now, there was a big debate with the ring ratings committee about pound for pound list. And do we drop Josh Taylor? Now, for my money, I think he should drop a couple notches on the list. But I still think when you look at his recent body of work, he's still a top 10 pound for pound fighter. And, he, and here's why I say that, guys. Okay. Not just because of his body of work, which is really impressive. Somebody tweeted last week, I want to say like his last five or six opponents, they have like a record. It's, it's, it's like over 150 wins to like one loss. I mean, no other, even Canelo isn't doing that. Okay. And doing it on the road. So that's the only guy that comes close is Alexander Usyk, right? They're right there, neck and neck. But there's only a handful of guys in the sport that are doing things on that level. This was an off night. This was a terrible night for Josh Taylor. Do you completely knock him off the pound for pound list? I would consider it if there was someone to replace him with. But who do you put on the list? Nobody in the last few months has even fought. Right? Who do I put on there? Charlo? Well, the middleweight Charlo, that, that's a joke. But junior middleweight Charlo, perhaps. But he barely got by Castaño. That, they had a draw in their first fight. A lot of people thought that he lost that fight. Do you put Castaño there? Uh, he had a draw with Charlo, and now he's injured, and their fight's delayed. So, like, I, I can't put them on the list. Um Maybe Chocolatito, if he looks really great this weekend and puts on a great performance, maybe he gets in there or something. I don't know. But, guys, you can't just knock someone off the list and have a vacant spot there. The ring ratings, we don't do that. We have vacant championships. You have to earn the championship. But 1 through 10, we got a name there, okay? We don't do the vacant shit. Like, you'll see some of these sanctioning bodies. 1 through 3 is vacant. What the fuck is that? <laughs> we don't do that. 1 through 10, we have a name there. So if you want to take Taylor off the pound for pound list because of this one performance, okay, and just delete what he's done over the last three, four years, I think that's a little harsh. But even if you want to, I'll, I'll listen to you in your rationale. But my question would be, who do you want to replace him with? No one else is doing shit. That's a problem we have in boxing right now. In the 70s, 80s, a performance like this from a pound-for-pound pound guy, yeah, you can boot him because there's three or four names right there on the bubble that you can replace him with. It ain't so in this era. These dudes don't fight enough. So who do you put in that spot? So to me, Taylor is still on the pound-for-pound pound list. And um, Catterall, to me, though, has proven he is a top-five junior welterweight. And I don't even think we had him ranked prior to this week. But based off this performance, you got to put him in the top-five. Four or five at 140 is where I'd rate uh, Jack Catterall. And uh, I'd love to see him against any of these other guys. And um, if we get a rematch between these two, that's cool as well. But honestly, I really don't want to see it again. God, that was an ugly fight. It's like Fury Klitschko. That was the worst heavyweight ch uh, championship fight I've seen. Okay. I'm not including just one-off titles. I'm talking about the legitimate heavyweight championship of the world. Okay. It was the worst I've seen in my entire life. Just an awful fight. I do not want to watch it again.
Uh, I've watched it twice already. That's enough. Same with this one. Don't want to see it again. But if they want to do it again, cool. I'd welcome it. All right. <sighs> I'm going to have a sip of water after that before we move on because that, that was a mouthful. Hopefully, I haven't lost all of you yet. Actually, let me get to a couple super chats uh, real quick because I saw a couple of them on there. Whoa, the comment section's going crazy. Looks like I, I pissed some of you off here. <clears throat> let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, Deed with the super chat. Thank you so much, Deed. You see the, apparently someone set up a petition for Catterall. All right. <clears throat> well, let's see that petition. If you come across it, man, send me that. Uh, DM me or something because um, I'll check it out. Depending on what it is, I might sign it. Depending on what it is. Chris Singh with a huge super chat. Thank you so much, Chris. Awesome, 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 brother. He says, three rounds, Pretty Boy Floyd, Money Made Promotions presents Zelensky versus Putin. Winner gets Floyd. I think Floyd would duck the winner. I honestly do. I, I think, or he'd fight them and not pay them, just like Logan Paul. Oh, I had to go there. Yeah, I, I, I think Floyd avoids that fight. I, I think he walks away from that fight. Something tells me he wouldn't get in there, even for three rounds. I don't know. All right, let's see. Do I have – oh, Ray Valero with the super chat. Thank you, Ray. He says, uh, Taylor uh, – oh, you're talking about uh, Taylor versus Chavez. Very similar to Tiafima Lopez versus Cambosos. Both Tio and Taylor had no game plan. Yes, but Cambosos finished much stronger. Oh, you talk, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Taylor versus Jack Catterall. Did I just say Chavez? Taylor versus Jack Catterall. Very similar to Tiafima Lopez, uh, George Cambosos. That was another fight that this reminded me of. So so good shot, Ray. You said uh, both Tio and Taylor had no game plan, but Cambosos finished, finished much stronger and closed the show. JC didn't. I 100% agree with that, Ray. Best comment I've read so far today. You're spot on with that. And I, I forgot to mention the Tio Cambosos fight, very similar. Um, there was also a knockdown, right? But that that knockdown was early. It was a little different. Tio closed the gap late because he he did have a late run in that fight. But to me, Cambosos showed some levels, and he did a couple different things, and he finished much stronger than Catterall did. And to me left no doubt that he had won that fight. And I give Tio credit because he did some really good punching and he made some adjustments as well. And um, he narrowed the gap. He made it close. And you wondered, was Cambosos going to get ripped off? But at the end of that fight, I felt Cambosos had clearly won. And at the end of this fight, I thought, eh, it could go either way, but yeah, you know, I edge it to Catterall. That was my thought. And when the decision went to Taylor, I wasn't that surprised. The one scorecard did surprise me because eight rounds, I don't know about that shit. I don't know about that. <clears throat> but yes, I absolutely agree with you, Ray. You're spot on with that, man. Okay. <sighs> we had more boxing last weekend. Man, Whew. We, we got a bunch of you on the line. Guys, you got to get off the phones. Uh, call back in a little. I, I don't even know if I'll get to phones. I got so much stuff to talk about. Seriously, I love you guys, but we got a bunch of people on the phone here. Uh, I, I'm not even halfway through this shit. All right. Okay. Let's go to Las Vegas. The Chelsea at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, PBC on Showtime. Good triple header. And the judges 
got it right in these fights. Um, let's go to the Coco main, um, the, the opener. Fernando Martinez gets an upset win over Jerwin Ancajas, takes his IBF junior bantamweight title, unanimous decision win. A lot of people, including myself, did not know much about Martinez coming into this fight. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Diego Maria at Ring. Uh, does um, a lot of our ratings work and stuff, but he was familiar with Martinez, talked about it on the ratings panel this weekend, and um, he, he had a strong feeling about this guy. And I think also uh, Hector Luis Garcia in the main event. But uh, Martinez, 14-0 now out of Argentina, a 2016 Olympian. And there was a theme on this card. There were three 2016 Olympians. Um, one of them, let's see, all three of them won. All three of them won. So I think the new school is starting to kind of take over because all three of these 2016 Olympians from three different countries ended up winning their fights. So uh, Martinez wins by the scores of 118, 110 twice, and 117, 111. And these guys threw an unbelievable amount of punches. Uh, Martinez, specifically, I think he threw over 1,000 punches. That's really, really impressive. And let's give Ancaja's credit. He never stopped. And I want to say he threw seven or 800 punches himself. The difference is Martinez's punches had a much, much, just more uh, observable, visible impact. And they pushed Ancaja's back. Let's talk about Ancaja's real quick. What a weak championship run this guy had. And I, I, I got to put this out there. I know they're going to trigger some of you. This was a PBC special. This guy won a title, uh, had eight defenses against nobody. And, and 115 pounds has been one of the most, if not the most, loaded division in boxing over the last five years. You look at all the names, right? There's, that's a deep division. Five, six, seven, eight guys that are really, really good fighters. And Ancajas fought none of them. What a flat, listless title run he had. Yet, he was able to defend this belt, I want to say, eight or nine times. And finally, he gets in there against a guy that now we know is elite. I think Fernando Martinez, he's legit in that division. Uh, and, and you saw what happened. This was not a close fight. Even though Ancajas fought very hard, he, he did absolutely everything he could do. And even that wasn't enough to make this close. Because this was a 10 rounds to two kind of fight. Um, so he had also, Ancajas, had one fight in two years coming into this one. Whereas I think Martinez had been more active. That matters. And the guy with 14 fights now, right? 13 fights coming in, beat this veteran champion fighter who's had seven, eight, nine defenses of his belt. And went in there and just really mopped the floor with the guy. And it kind of just shows you Man, there's just levels to this game, and you can have a belt, and you can hide out and defend your belt uh, against second-tier opposition. I'm not trying to beat up on Ancajas. I like the guy, okay? And he's an entertaining fighter when he's in there with the right style. But it just his, his title run was just poor, and it was almost like a 115-pound version of Deontay Wilder in certain respects. The difference is Wilder, heavyweight, big right hand, was knocking guys out and was in uh, consistently in entertaining fights because of his defensive liabilities. Um, so, you know, not the exact same. I'm just saying 
for Ancajas to hold on to a title for that long without fighting one of the top names when there's so many names in this division. Interesting. All right. In the co-main, Gary Antoine Russell, uh, really, really great performance. And he looked good in this fight. 15-0 now. TKO 10 win over Victor Postal in a 140-pound fight. Uh, 25-year-old Southpaw, of course. There's like 18 Gary Russell brothers. Uh, 2016 Olympian. So again, that class now is starting to kind of find their way. You would hope that a 2016 Olympian would have more than 15 fights, or in the case of Martinez, 14 fights, but things have been kind of slow, right? And we did have a global pandemic in 2020. But this was a great step up, great matchmaking here from PBC, uh, TGB Promotions. This one, home run, guys, home run. And now uh, Russell, <clears throat> let's see if he could take the next step, right? But this was a good step up for him. Postal obviously fighting with a very heavy heart. Right after this fight, flew home to Ukraine. Uh, there's a lot, obviously, going on with his homeland. So I don't know if he was 100% mentally there in this fight, but he did his job. He gave uh, Russell 10 great rounds to build and learn from. And in the main event, upset special, big time upset special. This is not what the promotion wanted. Uh, Hector Luis Garcia, a 2016 Olympian from the Dominican Republic, a last-minute replacement. Uh, steps in um, to steps in late and beats Chris Colbert. And this was not even close. Unanimous decision win. <clears throat> 118, 109 twice. And 119, 108. Uh, one judge had 119, 108. Almost a shutout. Uh, Garcia landed nearly twice the amount of punches, particularly power punches. He dropped Colbert in the ninth round. This was a 130-pound eliminator with the WBA uh, for one of their 8,000 titles in that division. To Colbert's credit, he gave zero excuses. He gave Garcia full credit for the win. He said he'd like to do it again. I got to give Colbert credit on that one. But I'm going to go back to inactivity. Colbert is a young fighter, a prospect. He had one fight in 2021. Garcia had two fights. Maybe that was the difference. Um, <clears throat> Garcia is a southpaw. He was a late replacement. All those things play a factor, but this was not a close fight. This was a blowout. So both of the upsets on this card were blowouts. They weren't close. So that's not what we saw over in Glasgow, Scotland, guys. If, if Chris Colbert had gotten the decision over Hector Luis Garcia or had Jerwin Ancajas gotten the decision against Fernando Martinez, those would be classical flat-out robberies. Not exactly what we saw in Glasgow, Scotland. And I hope I've made, I, I've provided enough nuance to, to, to give you my reasoning for saying that. I hope it makes sense. All right. Sunday, February 27th, Matchroom Boxing on the Zone. This was in London. It's cool to have some boxing on a Sunday, especially now that the NFL is over. Uh, boxing should do this more. Why not? Why not? We're sitting on our ass Sunday doing yard work and shit. Put some boxing on. Lawrence Okole in the main event approves to 18-0, unanimous decision win over Michael Cieslik. Uh, the second defense of Okole's WBO Cruiser title drops Cieslik down in the, in the fifth round. Scores were like 8-4, to four, which is about, about right. That's what this was. Um, I expected more from Okole in this fight, but Styles make fights, and Cieslik showed me a little more than I thought he had. Maybe I underrated him coming in. Uh, maybe we got a little too excited about Okole. Uh, too fast, 
But th- these were 12 really good rounds for Okoli, who might be the best cruiserweight in the world right now. I Obviously, Marius Bredis is the number one guy, okay? But I don't know where his mind is right now. He's in a kind of a weird place. Okoli, a year or two from now, right? let's call it 2023, 2024, he is going to be the Ring Magazine Cruiserweight Champion of the World. I'm calling it right now. Calling it right now, mark it, timestamp it, boom. Also, uh, a great come from behind victory <clears throat> on this on this card from Jordan Gill, scoring a KO9 win over uh, Kareem Gwerfi. Uh, he was, this is a featherweight fight. Uh, uh, Jordan Gill was down on all three cards, dropped in the seventh round, face was swollen up, beat up, and then with one punch, he was up against the ropes. I think it was a counter right, right hand. Drops Gwerfi. And it was it, lights out. And so this was obviously so far the comeback fight of the year. Might even be the fight of the year so far because of that comeback. I think that'll be beat out probably this weekend. But then um, I, I, also, I, you know, Martinez on Cajas, probably my fight of the year so far just with the action. But it was so one-sided. You know what I'm saying? In terms of come from behind wins, uh, Gill over in, in this fight, I think that might take the show so far, man, as far as fight of the year. Definitely comeback of the year. All right. Whew. Man, oh, man. <clears throat> man, I'm losing my voice. Okay. So I still got to get to the preview, guys. Whew. I'm going to jump to the comments real quick, though, for a second. I want to get a couple of your comments. Uh, American Boxing Fan says, Oh, Coley is a hype job. Really? I don't know about that. I haven't seen anything in Okoli. Now, again, if he keeps improving, I'm not saying he's there yet, okay? But if he keeps improving the way he's been improving, I don't know, dude, in a year or two, what other cruiserweight out there right now would you rate over him? I don't know. Sam A says uh, Jordan Gill needs to find another occupation. He will be shot within two years. Well, hopefully he gets paid first. (laughs) Sports Talk with Troy says, Colbert can't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. His failure to build an early lead cost him. Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys that I think does too much mitt work, you know, pad work. And you don't really punch for power on the mitts. It's more about accuracy and timing and things like that, distance. Um, He needs to do more heavy bag work and a circular pad and just build some power in those punches, man. Because when you don't fear what's coming at you, you'll, you'll take a few to land. And he was in there with a guy who had an amateur pedigree, was an Olympian, who, who came in to win that fight. Uh, Twal said, did you see Bredis with that Mario outfit? Yes, I did. Mar- Marius Bredis is a character, which, which I, I appreciate. I like that we have characters in boxing, but he's kind of, kind of strange. He's just kind of out there, man. He's not a character like, like uh, Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury. Uh, or one of those guys, he's just kind of strange. And I, I don't know. Uh, he, he seems to be going through a moment right now. <clears throat> Sam A says, Colbert quit on his feet. It did look like he mentally capitulated and looked good or looked uh, good with just finishing the fight on his feet. It's kind of how it looked to me. Adam says, 115 is fire. Hells, yeah, it is. And we're going to get more fire this weekend. 
And Sal says, uh, hope Bam stays at 115. Me too. He'd be a welcome division or uh, addition to that division. Marquise is on. What's up, Marquise? I was hoping that you'd be on here. Marquise says, uh, IBF favorable opposition. He was due to lose. Yes. I know you're talking about on Cajas there. All right. Let's uh, jump into this. Actually, you know what? We're going to break tradition because uh, a, a few of you guys are on the lines and refuse to hang up. So I'm going to go to some calls and then we'll do the preview after that. Okay. But guys, we got to keep these calls quick. All right. Let's keep these calls quick. Let's jump to the first one. Three, three, six. You're on the show. <clears throat> Yo, you know who. BLT, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, 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 I'm great, man. I saw D.L. Hughley this weekend. That's why I missed all the fights on Saturday. I had some things to do then. I saw D.L. Hughley at the Comedy Zone out here. How was D.L.? It was a great show. It was it good? I like D.L. Yeah, it was a great show. Great show, man. You put it on. Put it on everybody, cool. man. Cool. It was nice. Nice. It was, and the venue was nice and intimate, too. So, you know, everybody's got a good seat. So Comedy cool. Zone where? Cool. Where, in Charlotte? In, uh, no, no, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Greensboro, in okay. Greensboro. I knew you were in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, did you catch yeah. the fights or what? Did you catch up on the fights? I, I saw the comedy fight on Sunday. I do have my reservations about Crowley, but, you know, he's doing his thing and he's beating him, so not mm. much in Cruiserweight to choose from. But good for him and I back him. Yeah. Um, I just saw the Adderall Taylor fight. And I was like, wow, Taylor looked like a little skinny kid. What is I thought he was sick or something. Yeah. He was funny to me. He, yeah. he just looked different than when I saw him fight, uh, who was that, Ramirez or whoever that was? Yeah, he looked a lot he stronger against Ramirez, I, man. A lot stronger, his yeah, legs. Yeah. Kind of surprised. Who is he supposed to fight next? I don't know. I, I think he needs to move up. But there might be a chance he rematches Catterall. But if I'm him, I move up, man. I, I dump those belts. You defended them at home. You got your money. Move up and wait yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, big up to Aaron. He said he missed me on the show, right, I believe. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Who, who's Aaron? Anyway. anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's it, man. You know, boom, boom, boom. But the show was great. I really enjoyed it. Cool. That's funny, man. I, I, I know it's not from the movies and the show, but not from the stand-up, so. I had to go take him out. Yeah, I've DL used to come on. I don't know if you remember the Opie and Anthony shows, the radio show that was a crazy radio yeah, show out of yeah, New York. Yeah. Do you remember Opie and Anthony? Dog. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. DL would go on there I with like Patrice O'Neill. Do you remember Patrice O'Neill? And uh, they'd have Nick DiPaolo and all these guys. And they would just beat the shit out of each other on that show. They would just diss each other and beat the shit out of each other. It was so fun, that was man. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. I dog. I love that show. Yeah. I need to bring that shit back. Anyway, man. Uh well, yeah, yeah. did you check out the showtime card or yeah. no? Nah, man, I didn't see anything. Else. Okay. That was it. All right. All right. Anyway, yo. Peace, love, joy, happiness. So keep it up. Do you do? And get to call us, man. Take care. And I'll talk to you Friday, I guess. Maybe. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Um, I'm having trouble getting to your your site. When I put a uh, material on boxing, I don't get the the, the um site. I don't understand. You should boxing dot com. That should be it. That's it. Let me check. Make sure it's all not right, down right, right now. Anyway, all right. All right, all right man. Peace, man. Take care. All right, PLT. Peace. Yep. Easy, easy. <laughs> 
There he goes. There he goes. All right. We're going to keep it rolling. We're going to keep it rolling. We'll get to Nacho. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, man? All right. So um, I'm just going to touch on all of them really quick, Mike. I'm not going to okay. take too long. Uh, Taylor Catterall, the only thing I got to say about that one, Mike, is to me, uh, Taylor got some home cooking, even though he doesn't want to admit it. But honestly, I think Catterall left that fight on the table for Taylor to take, and that's what happened. Yep. I think if Catterall had been busier the last third of that fight and had really taken it to Taylor, he wins that fight easy. There's no controversy. There's no robbery, none of that shit. He would have won that fight easily had he stepped on the gas and really put it on Taylor, but he didn't. So it cost him. It's unfortunate, but like you said, I think Taylor's going to move up. He's going to dump the belt, and I think Catterall will get another title shot sooner rather than later. Um, and then with the uh, Showtime card, like you were talking about that dude Martinez, that's exactly what Catterall needed to do to Taylor. Yes. He needed to go in there, put his foot on the gas, beat the hell out of the champion, and force the judges to have to give it to him and not be able to say, oh, well, we think it was close, so let's go ahead and give it to the guy with the belt. No, he went in there, beat the hell out of Ancajas, and he forced him to have to give him the the, the belt. And that's that's the way Catterall should have done it. But, you know, every every fighter, when they're in there, they, they react differently when the spotlight is on them. And Martinez stepped up in the spotlight, and, and Catterall kind of wilted towards the end. That was the difference. Um the uh, postal Russell, honestly, Mike, like you said, Russell won good for him. I was not genuinely impressed with that effort. I thought Postal did enough to still make me question how really good Russell is at this point because he marked him up a little bit and he didn't look all that great. Yeah, he won the fight, but that that stoppage was completely bogus. He stunned Postal yeah. and Postal was retreating. But Ortega screwed that up. Yeah. Postal was not hurt to the point that he didn't know what was going on. So good for Russell that he won. But to be honest, I still have more questions about Gary Antoine. I still need to see him fight somebody a little bit, you know, a little bit better caliber than Postal. I think he, he did just enough to win that fight on Saturday. But I still have questions about him. So I definitely would like to see him step up. And then lastly, with uh, the main event, Honestly, Mike, I just think uh, Colbert completely uh, overlooked Garcia. I think he felt, this is just some dude. You know, he ain't beat nobody. You know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my thing, and, and I'm going to win the fight. And I think about halfway through, he realized that Garcia was no, you know, no uh, journeyman and no guy with a, with a built-up record. He was a real guy. And then when he dropped him in the seventh round and, and uh, Cobra got up. You could just tell the fight completely changed from that point on. Cobra had no no type of uh, willingness to bite down and get in there and fight back. He just kind of coasted to the end and just wanted to say he went to 12. And it's a it's a disappointing performance for Cobra, and, and it's a bad a bad loss. But now you got another player in Garcia in that division. So who knows? Maybe you can intermix him with some of the other guys in the division if possible. But yeah, th this is a, this is going to be a tough loss for uh Colbert to come back from, in my opinion. So that's my call, Mike. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Good stuff, man. Uh, dude, thanks. 
Uh, we'll grab a couple more, then I'm going to get to this preview. Let's go over to the UK. We've got uh, 796 on the line. You're on the show. What's up? Hello, Mike. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Hamid? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. Since yeah. Been, so I think you know why I'm calling. <laughs> yeah, get to it, man. Get Because I know you got some opinions. <clears throat> I just want to say, uh, I don't think that was a close fight. I think you could argue that wasn't even a competitive fight. But I'm I'm not mad if someone thought that was competitive because I I gave Taylor three rounds. I thought he won about one or two clear rounds, but I can see how some people had it a bit closer. I just I just don't see how you could say that was a fight that could have went either way because in the first six rounds I thought he won about one round, and even that round I don't think he clearly won it. But I gave it to him, and then in the last six rounds. To me, he was doing a bit better, but I thought that was a worse decision than Kovalev Ward because mm. not only did Catterall also drop him, but I know you don't score fights on facial damage, but Josh Taylor was really beaten up. But I just think the referee and the judges did a bad job. Like I know the referee took a point off for both guys, but to me, at times, it looked like he lost control. Yeah. And the, I don't think that was the main thing, though. I think the judges just had the overall bad night. I, I just don't see how people can say that's a close fight because Usyk and Joshua on, I think, one of the scorecards, the 7-5, I also didn't think that was a close fight. Like, And people keep forgetting like fights like Selby Warrington, which I thought Selby lost about 9, 10, maybe even 11 rounds, was a split decision. Like, I'm not sure. Like People justifying decisions to me it seems like if it's a remotely competitive fight in some people's opinions they try and swing you and say it's a close fight I just don't see how that was a close fight like I thought that was the worst decision in Kovalev Ward and even Tatano Chalo I think this was worse hmm. I'm not sure how you feel about that well, Hamed, you're not alone in that opinion, man uh, there's a lot of people that feel the way you did and again, for the record I want to make this clear I scored it for Catterall. I thought he won the fight clearly, but I also think that, and I couldn't understand how in rounds nine through 12, he got on the back foot and stopped throwing punches and stopped moving forward and kind of allowed Taylor to push him around a little bit. Not that Taylor was landing punches, but he was pushing Catterall around. And to, uh, to some judges that could influence them. We have the benefit of watching on TV. Uh, and, and sometimes the judges right up on the ring, they don't see, you know, every detail and perhaps they got influenced. I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I, I don't agree with the decision, right. but I do All think right. Catterall made a tactical mistake. It, you know, it reminded me a little bit of Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, not exactly, of course, but Oscar kind of let off the gas pedal and I thought Oscar won that fight, but he gave the system a, a chance to fuck him. And they fucked him. And that's kind of what Catterall did. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. I, I understand. I'm not mad at people like that. I'm kind of checked out of boxing. Like, I didn't watch the Coley fight. Uh, I didn't watch the Showtime card. I didn't even watch the Taylor fight live. But I watched it in the morning without knowing the results. But, like, I, I think there's more important things in life than boxing. But I'm not sure if I'll be watching the Gonzalez fight. Like, that left a bit of a bad taste. Even though... After the fight ended, I thought they made Robin. The only thing I was, I was a bit curious was with two 10-8 rounds and the knockdown, I just couldn't see 
how they screwed him. But I think they had a lot invested in uh, Josh Taylor. That's why they did it. But yeah. the thing is, I just don't see how you could give that fight to Taylor. Even the judge who gave it to Catrell, uh, I, I thought he had it too close. Because I know people will say Catrell let him back in the fight. But the thing is, uh, if you're making someone miss and you're making them pay, especially the first, I'd say, six to eight rounds, I don't know how you could give Taylor more than one or two rounds. Uh, I don't know. I think it was a bit of a clash of styles as well because it was an ugly fight in the last half of the fight. And yeah. I don't know if they both being southpaws may have affected it, but some of those rounds were swing rounds. But if you're giving every swing round to Taylor, I think you're being biased. And I think two of the judges were. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. But, Hamed. I'll let you get to the other caller. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll just make one point before I let you go, man. If if you gave Taylor two of the first eight rounds, which I think is perfectly reasonable, and then you gave him nine through 12, which I don't agree with, but if one judge did, it's an even fight. But then even with the knockdown, uh, Catterall still wins. So I agree with you. Catterall won the fight. Yeah. And I just don't agree with the decision, but yeah. I think it's on Catterall for, for the way he fought the championship rounds. Yeah, before I go, I'll just continue. Do you think anything could be done? Because I think this might be the like part of the I'll, I'll watch the big fights because every boxing got the knockout. But like these lower fights, I might catch the highlights. Like, I'm not sure. Like it's worth really losing sleep or wasting time because in the UK we gotta you know start waking up at five o'clock for these fights. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like it's not just in the UK. Like the Gonzalez. Estrada rematch. I thought that was a very controversial decision, but do you think anything could be done about it? it? It's like I've said before. I think that the fighters themselves have to stop allowing these shitty ring officials to be in the fight. John Ian Lewis, who I talked about before. I'm sorry, Ian John Lewis, who scored this eight rounds yeah, yeah. to four for Taylor. Disgusting. He's had a lot of bad performances. If I was Jack Catterall's yeah. team and I saw his name on the list of ring officials, I would have said, we are not fighting if he's involved. We're not fighting. It, the, the, the fighters have to take power here, um, and they're not. They, they, they go into these fights, and they think, ah, it won't happen to me, and then it happens to them. So they got to take control, yeah, man. That's, that, that's a good point. And before I go, the other thing is, I think media need to start doing something because I remember you grilled Bob Bennett. I personally don't think that was a robbery. I thought Glockin won, but I could see how some people had their draw, but mm. a lot of these guys are not questioning they like the guys like the British Boxing Board of Control or NSAC. I think that's also a problem. But thanks for doing my thought. Thanks, Ahmed. Thanks, Ahmed. Yeah, I agree with Ahmed there. You know, people do not take uh, and I will, here's where I'll be. I might sound like a biased American, okay, and I don't want to upset my UK audience because you guys are awesome. But I think that this is a problem that's even worse in the UK. I have never, ever heard a notable British fight reporter stick it to the BBBFC or even UCAD, which is a joke. I, I don't see anybody over there doing any real investigative reporting into UCAD and how compromised they are. And I don't see anybody going to the British Board of Boxing Control and challenging them on these decisions and really, really reaming them and sticking it to them. Um, you know, I, I've challenged Bob Bennett. There have been others. I'm not the only one. Uh, it's, it's very few, but at least there's a few of us who have done it over here. 
I can't think of anybody over there that's done it. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But what, what really seems to be bad with some of the British fights, you get bad scores everywhere. But I see a lot of bad referee performances over there. And there, there have been some here, okay? I'm, I'm, you know, obviously. But here you get a, a lot of A-side scoring, you know, in favor, especially in Nevada, right? We've seen that a million times. But uh, the referee performances over there, that's something I see consistently bad is referees like over officiating fights. And that just the, the media needs to start talking about that over there. All right. We're going to do one more call guys. Marquise Johns is on the line. We're going to talk to him. And then uh, I'm going to get to this fight preview because damn, we're an hour and a half into the show real quick. Super chat pledge from Sam. Thanks again, Sam. He said uh, too much holding in the Taylor fight. Catterall couldn't let his punches go like Martinez did. Uh, of course, you're talking about uh, Martinez against German on Cajas. Totally different fight. I agree. Completely different type of fight. Um, but Taylor, you know, got in there and smothered a lot of Catterall's work. That is a little bit of an adjustment that he made. Okay, let's go to Marquise. Marquise, what's up, man? You're on the show. How you doing? Pretty good, Mike, man. First things first, uh, you mentioned something at the very beginning of the program about uh, ESPN Plus being the value for boxing. If that's the case, man, with these last two weeks of these broadcasts from, from, from overseas, we are in trouble. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Trouble because I saw, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw a guy who looked like uh, the cosplay of Fat Bastard in a in, in heavyweight fight for a Oh, dude, that's right. That didn't exist 70 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I watched thing. that fight, what too. Yeah, dude. That, well, I, they, they pulled that dude from the crowud Literally pulled him from the crowd. He was a last-minute replacement. From the bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was from the he was from the bar, and it was funny because I I see a top rank uh, management is uh, defending that that fight because you know there's two heavyweight guys you know laying their hearts out. In the second round of that fight, you see this guy staring at his corner like, "Hey, throw the talons when you get back to the bar." But whatever, <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> it is what it is with that. Good crap. Times. Thankfully, they're back. Thankfully, they're back in the stage. But yeah, that that's that man. These these ESPN guards are rough and. One last point on that. Did you see the basement that Joe Tessitore was recording from the top ring? Yeah, dude. That was rough. The, yeah, so, so guys, <laughs> after the ESPN card last weekend, um, they went, what do they call it, ESPN overtime, or I can't remember what the hell they call it. but Yeah, like after the bell or some shenan- cliche shenanigans. It was all four of them. It was Mark Kriegel, Joe Tessitore, um, and, and Andre Ward and Tim Bradley. And like Ward had a you know nice little setup. There's some stuff you know some of his fighter stuff behind him. And Kriegel had his books, and Bradley has. Joe Tessitore looked like he was in a fucking bunker or something. I don't know. He was in a hostage situation. Yeah, yeah. I was like, is is he in the fucking Ukraine hiding right now? Like, like what the hell was that? (laughs) Yeah, good times. Unreal. God, that was yeah, that was that was rough. But no, I want to make a bit two quick points now, and I'll, I'll pass out of here because uh, one thing I want to mention is the 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 Akaz uh, from Martinez fight. But let me your point: it, 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 CompuBox records for 115 pound championship fight, 1,862 punches. Okay, I wrote the recap for New York fight. That's why I know the number off the top of my head. But uh, that he looked good. I'm I'm just glad that they finally got that belt of Akaz. He's been in nine defenses of absolutely a who's who of nobodies, guys. Yes. Like absolute nobodies. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm, as you know, Mike, I'm, I am just not a big fan of these mandatory contests and, and especially IBF mandatory contests because it's literally guys that get to do book reports and research projects on this <laughs> these people are fighting. They have the but, worst mandatories. They really do. Yeah, they, they really do. But no, but they think that's over. And then Martinez, look, he, he, he's going to be a problem. It's, it's cool thing with these, these guys at 115 because they throw punches. Granted, it's not yeah. a lot of pop or anything, but they throw punches. And that's what 
if anything, boxing needs more than anything else. If they're not going, if they're going to make us pay for these fights, which is which is which is all but happening. But let's be honest here. I, you you may be honest with this team strength thing here, Mike, because uh, this is, I, yeah, I, I can't justify paying twenty bucks a month now anymore for Lee Lee I Wood Michael Collins fights. Man, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, what, I hear you, is. man. But <laughs> I hear you, brother. What <laughs> gives? And yeah, I mean, it's not even just like twenty because that. no, that's it's just twenty for one platform. Now you got to have three different platforms, so it's even more than that. Yeah, and, and and it's not like they're showing anything. At least with ESPN Plus, granted they put boxing on the back, you know, back alley like a dive like a dive bar phone number. But at least you could find it. All all the zone has is the, the, the few boxing cards and what the, the zone boxing show. Um, Akinbarak, I'm like, yes. Like, what, what are you paying for? I've said that. I've said that the whole time, dude. That they need to pick up. They should have a dozen different boxing podcasts on the zone. They come real cheap. You yeah. can pick up guys from YouTube and put. People would watch it. I get more viewers yeah, on my day of podcast than this than the zone does on some of their shows. That's not good. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're a linear program on that on that thing. I sure, but uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those deals. But man, one leave one last point. But but want to get your take on this because I thought Chris Colbert in this fight uh, this Saturday night. He he looked like he checked out about the sixth round. But the one thing I thought that was really concerning for me on his end was he couldn't. He couldn't keep that Olympian off of him and Garcia, and he just—I'm surprised that this corner actually let that fight continue on because that was one of those things where it's like he wasn't making anything different, he wasn't throwing back. Yeah, <laughs> they it could, just they could, they looked like he was trying to survive at that point and go the distance and, and kind of claim that moral victory and live on the fight another day. But his lack of pop, dude, he couldn't keep that guy off of him, like you said, and that's because of the lack of pop and just the lack of strength. I don't know if. Something happened in camp, and he had trouble making weight, or what was going on. But he just looked kind of weak, and he 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 could not keep that guy off of him because he couldn't hurt him, and he couldn't move him, he couldn't push him around. Uh, so it was very surprising to see that, and maybe it was just a huge miscalculation yeah. in matchmaking by his team. It, it, that may have been the case because usually what we expected one. I will admit though, I've seen because he was the second guy I seen upset this weekend uh, with a late replacement that was a southpaw. Uh, Mark mm-hmm. Reyes on a little local card in town uh, got upset as well by, by uh, Ennis, uh, a guy who took the fight on little like two days' notice and had the same issue. So it, it may have been a lot of that, but man, he, he didn't. Either way, he didn't look good, and that was an L. But yeah. I'll, I'll let you run, Mike. But no, it's it, 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 decent weekend for the most part. I'm, I'm glad ESPN Plus or uh, is going to be at least in the states for a while because these, these overseas cards. I kind of feel bad for our friends overseas, Mike, because uh, Eddie Hearn left Sky Sports. Not thinking, all right, top rank's going to replace it. You know, put on better cards and. They apparently aren't putting the money to put the dancing bear in the ring, let alone anything else. So I'm, 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 my, my condolences to those guys. <laughs> All right, Marquis, great stuff, man. You should call in more often, Doug. Right. Always, man. Thanks so much, Mike. All right, thanks a lot, man. Uh, yeah, and some of the production of some of those overseas cards. Again, they they did the thing last last Saturday where it's just a long shot like like it looks like they're in the rafters up in the roof shooting down at the ring that's how far out it was um with just like a a live feed of like you just hear music playing the dj playing or something and you just see the ring way down at the size of an ant uh so yeah the production i don't know need to step that shit up sam a with another super chat uh thanks sam he says shouldn't jack reese have stopped that on cajas martinez fight I don't think so, and I say that because Ancajas was throwing punches, dude. He threw over 800 punches. As Marquis said, it was uh, 1,862 combined punches. So when you throw 800 punches, you're still trying to win, and you're still you're still doing what a boxer's supposed to do. 
So I, I think Jack Jack is really, really good at assessing if a fighter's damaged or not. Remember, guys, um, the first Wilder Fury fight, when, when when Fury got dropped, Jack gave him a chance to fight back. Now, if he stops that fight, which a lot of overzealous refs would have, especially American refs, for being honest, um, it changes heavyweight boxing history, right? So Jack Reese properly assessing that situation, which I feel he did, is what gave us the rematch and then the third fight and really changed the heavyweight division, the history of the heavyweight division. So I, I, I think Jack Reese is a good ref. A lot, of, a lot of fans give him shit, but I actually think he's a really good ref, and uh, I think he does a good job. Okay, fight preview. One hour and 33 minutes into the show. Let me write a note so I know when I do my recap on ringtv.com, I know where to look. All right, um, guys, two good fights, two good fights. Let's start Friday, March 4th. Uh, Top Rank has a show on ESPN Plus at the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California. Jose Carlos Ramirez making his ring return, his first bout since losing to Josh Taylor last May. And he, I think this is like his ninth or tenth fight in Fresno. He, he's definitely a brand there. They'll, they'll do a, a crowd for this fight. And uh, I think the crowd's going to be behind him. You know, trying to will him back into the win column. He's going up against the veteran from Puerto Rico, Jose Pedraza. This is a 12 round, uh, 140 pound fight. So for Pedraza, he has won three in a row since losing in uh, 2019. But so he's been on a pretty good run, but not the best opposition. Also, he started his career at 130 pounds, right? So he's the naturally smaller guy. He's a few years older. Ramirez is taller, longer, younger, naturally stronger, you know, the more natural 140. So on paper, this is perfect matchmaking for Ramirez to get back in the win column in a competitive fight because Pedraza has been in there with everybody. One of these fighters that um, has really served boxing well, being willing to fight anybody at any time in three different divisions, right? He fought Tank at 30, fought Lomachenko at 35, now he's going to fight Ramirez at 140. So I love fighters like Pedraza who are willing to do that. And uh, I think this will be fun because of the crowd atmosphere and because of the style matchup. I really think it's going to be fun. Can Pedraza give Ramirez a good push? Has Ramirez's um, emotions and, and mental state as a fighter, have they been affected because of that loss to Taylor? Uh, has it made him question himself or – has it given him a renewed hunger, and vigor, and toughen him up a bit, and he's going to come out with a vengeance? That's what I want to see. I want to see the, the answer to that question in this fight, and that's why it's so intriguing to me. I really like this matchup a lot. When they put this one on the calendar, I circled it. I was like, I like this one. Also, uh, Saturday, March 5th, uh, we go from Northern California up in Fresno down to Southern California in San Diego. California really does run boxing in America. I've been saying that for years, um, and we just get more and more evidence of it all the time. Matchroom boxing on the zone at the Pachanga Arena in San Diego. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez going up against Julio Cesar Martinez, who is a last-minute replacement for Juan Francisco Estrada. We were supposed to get the third fight between the two of them, the rubber match. Estrada apparently got the COVID, so he's out. Martinez steps up to replace him. Great last-minute replacement. And we know who Martinez is, right? He's not some guy flying under the radar. We don't know what to 
make of them, like some other guys that we've seen recently who are last-minute replacements. Uh, so we expect a good one here. Gonzalez is 34 years old. Martinez is 27 years old. You know, people keep talking about the fact that Gonzalez is the bigger guy because this is at 115, and uh, Martinez is moving up, and he's, you know, a 112 fighter. But people forget, <laughs> Joker Latino started at 105, okay? So I don't necessarily buy the shit that he's the bigger guy. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me to see Martinez is actually the stronger fighter naturally because, as I mentioned, he's seven years younger. By the time Martinez is 34, he will be at 118, maybe even 122, okay, because he does some unnatural things to make weight. Um, I don't think he'll get away with doing that here in San Diego, so that's why making 115 will be good for him. But getting down to 112, he's done some uh, questionable things to get down to that weight. Anyway, I think Martinez might be the naturally stronger guy here. What the question I have, well, let's talk about this first. Just some, some X's and O's here. Chocolatito, of course, his last fight was last March. So it's been almost a year for him out of the ring, inactivity again. But I do think with older, mature fighters, veteran fighters, sometimes inactivity is better for them. It doesn't affect them as badly. Um, when you're a guy who relies on reflexes, it can, but Chocolatito is not that kind of fighter. He's a fundamental fighter. And you don't forget fundamentals, right? So I don't think this inactivity has hurt him at all. I think he'll be just fine. Um, for Martinez, his last fight was a no contest against McWilliams Arroyo last November. A headbutt, cut Arroyo. I was really looking forward to that matchup. But uh, Martinez was ahead early after the first couple rounds. I think it was two, three rounds, right? He was ahead. And um, I thought he was on his way to winning that fight. But a headbutt, of course, stopped it. But still, getting in there, even if it was only for a few rounds, it was in November, so he's been active. He should be sharp, man. Here's the thing about Martinez. His best opponents so far were Charlie Edwards and a couple rounds with McWilliams Arroyo, who's faded and passed his best now, too. He's been softened up a few times. Does that prepare you for Chocolatito? I don't know about that. I don't know if those fights prepare you for Chocolatito. I don't know if anything really can. But Martinez has not been in with the truly elite-level fighters like a Rungvisai or an Estrada to prepare him for a Chocolatito, right? So does he have more than he's shown us? I don't know about that. Uh, on paper, Gonzalez should win this fight. He should. But here's another question I have. Does he get old overnight? You know, with older fighters, you know, Chocolatito has two tough losses, I think, in 2017, took some time off, came back, and he's looked good. He's had some good wins. The loss to Estrada, I think it, it really doesn't hurt him at all because a lot of people, first of all, thought that he won or maybe a draw was just. But it was such a good fight between them last year. I was there for that one. Oh, it was a great fight. Really, really fun time. Um Nobody really cared. You know, the, the decision didn't bother people too much because you knew these guys were going to fight again anyway. So Chocolatito needs to win this fight to get that third fight with Estrada. Um, on paper, he should, but does he get old overnight? One thing I know for sure, Gonzalez definitely is not taking Martinez lightly. He won't make that mistake. He will come in at 100%, and I expect him to, uh, to look good in this fight. I, I truly do. So uh, I'm looking forward to both of these matchups, man. Uh, a few of you guys in the chat are going. 
That's pretty awesome, man. Mendeli in the chat says, see you in San Diego, folks. That's awesome, man. I know my man Jim Boone, uh, ticket dude, is working that fight. If you guys are interested in going, KO tickets. KO tickets. Hit up Jim Boone. He will take care of you. If you tell him Michael Montero sent you, he will take care of you. I promise. All right. He's KO tickets on Twitter. If you're not following him, you should. But he's working that one. Um, and so if you guys, anybody in that area wants to see if there's tickets available and hit that fight up, hit up my guy, Jim. He'll take care of you. I promise. <clears throat> Nacho says uh, Ramirez versus Pedraza will be a damn good fight. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. And Sam, man, with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He said, I heard it's actually a downtown arena. Oh, you know what? You might be right. Oh, no, I think it is. Pachanga Arena. Isn't that downtown? Let's Google it, shall we? Let's do it right now. Why the hell not? Pachanga Arena, San Diego. Let's see. Where is it? I'm looking on the map right now. Oh, yeah, it's downtown, man. Check it out, guys. I will share my screen. Let's just Google map this shit right now. You know why? Because we can. Okay, yeah, right here it is, right? So um, <clears throat> how far is this from, uh, yeah, Presidio Park right here, Old Town. Old Town San Diego is pretty awesome for those of you who have never been. Pretty awesome. I want to know how far is Little Italy. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, I'll look that up later. Screw it. <clears throat> okay. All right. Oh, boy. I'm about to lose my damn voice. Hamed says uh, Marquise has a good podcast called Big Fight Weekend. Great show, Mike. Yeah, he does. Marquise, and he's just a cool guy. He was here for... Um, he was here in Atlanta for, uh, what was it, Jake Paul? Who the hell did he fight? Ben Askren. And we hung out a little bit before the fight, you know, walked around to the arena and stuff. Uh, just cool dude. Always a good, just a cool guy. Jimmy in the chat says, uh, Mike Taylor's trainer, Ben Davidson, should go back to teaching kids kickball. Just say, yeah, I, I you know, I did not like the advice coming from that corner. Um, I don't know what to think, man. I, I don't know if Taylor should change trainers, but it just didn't seem like the game plan was there and you have to game plan for every damn fight. Um, like it's, you're fighting the best opponent of your career. I, I remember seeing an interview with Vladimir Klitschko where he talked about that. And that was something that Emmanuel Stewart beat into his brain after his losses to Sanders and Brewster. It was like, listen, dude, you're the champ. You got to prepare like you're going up against the best opponent for every single fight, no matter who you're fighting. And that's something that, that kind of Emmanuel kind of had to beat into his head. And um, I, I just didn't see that with Taylor. He didn't look prepared, man. Oh, Marquise is still in the chat. Marquise KO tickets is the band. Yeah, dude. KO tickets is awesome. Uh, Jim is hilarious, by the way. I've hung out with Jim and had drinks with him. He's from fucking, he's from Wisconsin. Those dudes can drink. Like I'm like Jesus Christ, dude. Like I can't even keep up with you. But I've hung out with him after fights with just like a crew of people, media people and stuff. And of course, I'll bring my wife Tiff and we'll hang out. And uh, he he's hilarious, dude. He is just absolutely hilarious. And Jimmy says uh, Jim Boone is not just the best ticket dealer. He's an awesome guy too. Absolutely, man. He's a really cool guy. That's the thing with all the shady characters of boxing. I have met some. Really, really, really good people. 
including all of you guys for being here, of course. Uh, and I've met a lot of you guys at the fights, but there are so many wonderful people in this sport for real. I'm not just saying that there's a lot of assholes and pieces of shit. <laughs> yes. But there's a lot of really good people in this sport too, man. A lot. Uh, not in the chat says, I'd like tickets to Chocolatito. Hey, hit up my dude, Jim. Again, tell him I sent you. He will take care of you. If you don't tell him I sent you, he'll still take, he'll still take care of you, okay? But if you say, yo, Montero sent me, he'll take care of you extra special, all right? Just mention my name. Tommy Boseo in the chat with the super chat. Thank you, Tommy. He says, watching TNC from Canada, Montero. By the way, thoughts and prayers to the Klitschko's, Usyk, and Loma. Yes, sir. And um, again, unity and action. Action and unity. I love it. These guys are really, really doing something there. Um, oh, Mandeli says, nope, the Pachanga Arena is 10 minutes from downtown. Okay, so it's not downtown. Well, for those of you who don't know San Diego, everything in San Diego, my wife is from San Diego, and she says everything is a 10-minute drive. That's the one thing. It's not too big of a place where it takes forever to get around. She says you could pre- – I guess there's a running joke in San Diego that, oh, I'll be there in 10 minutes. That's what everyone – that's what she says. You could get everywhere – Within 10 minutes. So anyway, I is Mendeli, let me ask you this. Is Little Italy downtown? That that's downtown, right? That little part of uh, San Diego that's called Little Italy. I was surprised that San Diego has a little Italy and it's 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 very nice. It's very, very nice down there. Okay. Uh, you know what? We have got just a few minutes before we're at the time limit. I'm gonna take one more call, guys. We're gonna do one more. And I'm sorry, there, we had like over a dozen calls today, and I didn't even get to half of them, but I had so much ground to cover, guys. I'm, a bunch of you gave up and dropped off. I'm sorry. Call in Friday. We'll chop it up, all right? All right, one more call. We're going to go to 978. You are on the show. What's going on? Tyson, what's going on? Oh, again? Jimmy. What's, what's up, man? Jimmy, what's going on, brother? Hey, uh, what's going on, brother? Listen, I'll make it quick because we still got to finish the show up. Um I want to say, man, kind of crazy, right? The PBC really gave us a good card, matched their guys tough. Yeah. Blow up in their face or what? <laughs> it did but, blow up hey, in their listen, face. I had, <laughs> hey, I had Russell win in that fight. I like this kid. He comes to fight. I think he, he was, um, he showed humility in his win, like the way he went over and dealt with him. But that stoppage was a PBC special because mm. it kept for a bunch of different reasons. It kept his knockout um, streak going. And he's the one who can say, I'm the guy who's the only guy who stopped Postel. Because, his, dude, 30 years in the game, and you're going to tell me the first time he's rocked even a little, his eyes weren't fuzzy, nothing. And he just jumped in and waved it off with 26 seconds left. I, I just thought that was rank. Um, but to yeah. your point, too, about Jack Reese, he actually went over to the, um, the doctor, told him to take a look, uh, keep an eye on him. He did what he could do. He noticed that he wasn't reacting well to those punches. You know, he just really wasn't. Um, even at the end of the fight when he was talking, um, Filipino kid, stretching his jaw, blinking his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Because you still got the, yeah, he still got the ringing in his ears. That's the type of beating that can, that takes years off you. But, you know, um, good for that kid, um, kid from South America, tough as nails. Yeah. And, um, Colbert, a talented kid. I think he's got fast hands. I think he went into that fight with the wrong mindset. He went in there to look good, and he tried to stand and take shots with somebody. He said to Jim Gray, remember, now nah, I don't watch video on people. 
You know what I mean? Like, and he was serious. I bet you never even bothered to see anything about this kid. Yeah. Went in there, went toe-to-toe with him. I think he got a couple of body shots that really took some wind out of his legs early. And I think that shot rocked him. And I don't, I don't, he was never the same after that. But I still think he has enough talent. If he actually focuses and comes back, he could go somewhere in the game. Um, Kayla, that was, listen, you can't, I agree with you, can't take him off the pound for pound list because you can't negate what he did prior to that. Mm-hmm. Nobody in under 20 fights was fighting a level of competition. Um, I, although I did say if he went straight to 147 before this fight and he went right into a fight with Crawford, I said, I don't think it's going to end well for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I agree. but yeah. And I, and I think honestly, it's Ben Davis too has a lot to blame for this. The, everybody in boxing knew to beat Wilder. You cannot be on the outside of his punches. All yes. his power, his stance, his build, everything is off the end of the punch, like a whip at right. the end is where his power is. So if you're standing out in the end, you're going to do what he did in the 12th round. It's stretched out. He just like Sugar Hill was right away like, dude, crowd this guy. Get in his grill. Yes. Maul him. Get him out of his game. Never let him get in his stance. And in the meantime, pound on him. And that was just, I mean, anybody could see that. And I think this kid Davis, and I've read some of the comments he's made, you know what I mean? And it, I just think he's kind of full of himself. And uh, he wants to show it's not about power. It's about skill or whatever. And I just don't think he's a good trainer. But, uh, yeah, dude, I try to make that give the weekend uh, as quick as I could for you because I wouldn't tie you up, brother. Nah, man, it's great to hear yeah, your you voice, Jimmy. Show, Michael. Yeah, man. Great show, man. Thank you. As always. Um, listen, um, what was I going to say to you? Uh, oh, with, also, that referee with, with Taylor. Oh, my God. That, that's become a problem. F- Frank Cappuccino, remember? They were yeah, I remember now. Frank because he was in know, uh, like, yeah, right? Gotti Ward. I think he was the first uh, in the exactly. first fight. He was the ref, right? Yeah. The first fight. Yep. Remember when he. When I mean, he, he was yeah, talking Italian Frank to Arturo. He was speaking Italian yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the fight, when they asked him, why didn't you stop the fight in the ninth round? when the Toro was clearly out of his feet and he said, that crowd would have ripped me apart. Yep. I wouldn't have made it to the dressing room. Hell yeah. But he also said, I know I did a good job when nobody knows my name. At the end of the fight, who was the ref again? He said, we're, we're there only, you know what I mean? You never make it about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 100% correct when you said these guys involve themselves too much. They stop the ebb and flow of a fight. But uh, Taylor needs to just I think, uh, obviously, ring rust is the fucking word of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys cannot fight once or twice a year. This is a game of reflexes and timing. And everybody this weekend timing looked off, all the yes. champions, you know, and all the guys who were supposed to win. It's just they don't fight enough, Mike. And it's going to be their downfall and most likely downfall of the sport. But again, brother, mm-hmm. you probably even got calls behind me. I'll end up rambling on you, dude. Uh, so I just wanted to call in and say, fucking, I got to cut your show live and you do a great job, Mike. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's always good to hear from your brother. You have a good one, my brother. You too, man. There he goes. Jimmy, a lot of you guys, I saw several of you guys in the chat that remember Jimmy's calls from, uh, from that, uh, podcast that Steve Kim used to do over on leaving in the ring with, uh, Gabe Montoya. And uh, they were the highlight of the show. Every time he called in, uh, I remember um, there's there were several loyal callers to that show that were always great. And um, 
Yeah, but Jimmy, it was it was you know just his distinctive voice and his opinions. He he shoots it straight from the hip, man. He lets you know how he feels, and that's great. You know what I'm saying? It's it, you don't have to agree. It's okay to disagree. You know you can agree with some things, disagree, but it's always 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 best if you deal in absolute truth and you you speak your truth and you give your opinion and you don't sugarcoat shit. Just tell people the way you feel. Yeah, you're going to be okay if you do it that way. All right, I'm going to answer one more question here that I saw from Brian in the chat. He says, hi, Mike, just a question. Do you think Usyk versus AJ rematch happens with Usyk's country being at war? Listen, man, that's a great question. And I honestly don't know. I, I think, of course, it will happen eventually because it's contractually mandated, right? But um, who knows what the hell is going to happen? But Lomachenko, I really strongly felt, was going to fight Cambosos uh, in June Australia. I don't know what's going to happen there. And then uh, with Usyk AJ, that was going to be in the first half of the year too. And I don't know what's going to happen there. So war sucks. So I hope that this shit gets cleaned up soon and we can get back to just everybody uh, working together, getting along, and, and give peace a chance, damn it. All right, guys. Uh, we'll do it Friday, all right, on my channel, the Friday wrap-up. We'll talk some shit, have some fun. Enjoy your week. Thanks for being on the show. I'll see you at the fights.